Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by political strategist and organizer, Ken Mahia Beal. Ken is first and foremost an activist and a supporter of the underdog. He's a concerned citizen who cares deeply for his country and wants to make the world a better place for all people. This Chicago native is a capitalist with a heart who believes in free thinking and human rights. Ken wants to use his words in order to shine a light on political ventures in order to allow those without knowledge to form strong positions through fact-based conversation. He resides in DuPage County within Illinois with his husband, singer-songwriter Michael Mejia Beal. Ken has been a member of a Democratic National Committee, a political strategist and organizer for several candidates over the last five years. He has ambitions to motivate those around him to communicate differing ideals while remaining civil. Ken is a contributing editor at Dim Right Press. The website was created to shine a spotlight on corruption and buttress American democracy, to share the truth, to ensure that a 2018 blue wave happens, and to provide a necessary check on the Trump administration. His Chronicles of an Outsider series explores his journey as an everyday American. Ken is also a contributing editor for Patriot Not Partisan, an online magazine launched by actress and political activist Alyssa Milano, aimed at providing voters with tools to contact their congressional representatives. His July 21st article, A Must Read, addressed white fragility. Ken recently co-hosted Chicago's weekly live LGBTQ radio show, The Sip. He has given speeches to small and large audiences across America about resisting, persisting, and bad assery. Ken, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I tell you, we met at the Esteem Awards, and I mean, you came. You, you're one of those people to me that I see having conversations with. You know, there's some people who you talk to, and it's just like, "Hey, what's happening?" But then there's people who you have conversations with that can be deep, that can be uh, con- controversial, that can make mm-hmm. you think, that move you on, and that's what what you came across, and then. You sent me my homework, which I love. Um, <laughs> Thank I got you. a chance. 
I got a chance to read more about you, and I mean, it was just like my brother from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I, I do try to be, I, I think in politics, there's so many people that write or they're in politics to tell people how to think. I just want to have a conversation. I want to push buttons. I want to be provocative. I want you to think. And if your opinion is different than mine, that's okay. I just want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because, you know, we've had primaries and everything, and I had someone who came up with this laundry list of things. Well, they didn't say this, and they didn't say that, and I don't know that. And I said, you know, if that's your litmus test, I'm glad that you raised these issues. If that's your litmus test, contact that candidate. Have mm-hmm. that conversation with them, you know. And don't pick yeah. fight with me on Facebook, you know. Do, you, know <laughs> have, you know, I mean, have a conversation. Absolutely. And I think very few people want to, because I, 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 I get the negative messages on Facebook. I get so many negative messages on Twitter. But for me, it's more so I'm, I'm happy to get you fired up. So take that fire and put it where it belongs. Contact your local candidates, your local politicians. Talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you, you know, that's your voice. That's one of the things you do. Although you're a strategist, you, you've worked with different campaigns. But that voice, that, that wanting to have that conversation with people, what motivated you to take that path? Oh, so that, that for me <laughs> is, is taken, <laughs> that's a hard one, it's taken time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been very political. I've, I grew up watching Meet the Press on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. I've always been able to spout out a lot of political information. It's not until, I'll say about four years ago, I was canvassing on the south side of Chicago, and I ran into so many people who don't vote. Um, and the person that was kind of training the canvasser said, well, when someone tells you they don't vote, you need to tell them why they should vote. And that's kind of the, the thing. So I started doing that, and people closed the doors in my face. Mm. And then I started to ask people why they don't vote, and I started listening. And I said, well, people aren't listening. All of these political talking heads, that's what they do, they talk. But they don't want to listen to people. And that's when I started to ask people if they voted or why they vote or how they vote and had conversations based off of their answer. When someone tells me they don't vote, I don't tell them why they should vote. I want to hear why you don't vote. I want to hear about it. If you tell me that you haven't talked to your local you know, elected official, I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to call them. I'm going to say, hey, I was in your district. People don't talk to you. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get you active. And that involves listening. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have is people love to talk but not listen. Mm-hmm. You know, I have often find, I'll tell you, I vote, I get it, I, you know, people say, why don't you just absentee vote? And, you know, and, and sometimes I talk to people and they've already made up their decision. And mm-hmm. I'm not one of those who's waiting for you to hand me a piece of literature when I go in to vote because I've made up my mind. But mm-hmm. people say, well, why do you go vote? And I said, because I remember as a child going with my parents up there mm-hmm. to the school and then each year seeing these, these people who were from the neighborhood who grew older and also being a student and seeing people come in and, and participate in this process. So I'm going to walk up to that school 
speak mm-hmm. to those elders who are manning those tables and speak to those kids because, you know, it's important. I mean, it's like you said, it's more than, you know, you just better go vote. Right. You have to, you have to talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've been looking, you see, I mean, I know that a couple of things we've talked about this blue wave. Mm-hmm. I know you're involved with the Democratic National Committee. And one of the things that people say is that they didn't listen. And that's in part why we have this this, this orange haze. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like how, that, orange haze. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how do you go and interact with them? And I also love that I was listening to you on the SIP where you were talking about bringing in people of all generations, bringing in new ideals. And, you know, and, and I can tell you just as recently as last week when I mentioned some, something about engaging the millennials, having someone going like, oh, can't we just, you know, send them all mm-hmm. home. How are you changing that dialogue and making that inclusive of these different generations? Okay. Uh, well, first, I just want to clear up. I, I'm a very small member of the DNC. However, with the Democratic <laughs> Party of DuPage County, I am the program director. So that's kind of where I do a lot of my my navigating. But when it comes to millennial voting, I have a lot of ideas. And I'm going to get real, real here for a moment. I have a lot of ideas, a lot of great ideas. And I'm I'm a millennial myself, technically. Mm -hmm. I'm an older millennial. Um, The problem is, and we're seeing this problem all over the country, is the heads of our democratic parties all over the place tend to be out of touch with social mm-hmm. media. They tend to be out of touch with the things that matter to people my age and people younger than myself, a generation Z, as they're called. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. As I said on the SIP, as I'll say now, it's uphill. There are a lot of times where I go and speak to the, the Democratic Party of DuPage, uh, you know, to get stuff done, and I'm stared at because they, mm-hmm. the ideas go well above their head. So the problem in, the, in how we're going to get millennials and Gen Zers to vote is to bring them into the party and actually have them do more than take pictures and set up tables. We have to listen to their ideas and enforce them. And that's what's not happening in the Democratic Party. Uh, my big fear is that this blue wave is going to be a big blue crash because we're still having these same older people running things the way that it's been run for years and years and years. You keep doing stuff the way you've been doing it, you'll keep getting what you've been getting, something my grandma always says. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not seeing the progression. I'm not seeing the change. I'm not seeing anything that makes me happy. I'm not seeing anything that the Democratic parties across the country are doing to bring in the youth vote. Um, so we have to start from the top. I'm not saying get everyone over a certain age out of the party. I'm not saying to even remove the people that are there. What I am saying, though, is we need to re-elect our Democratic leaders for these parties. We have to elect people that speak for everybody. Mm-hmm. We should not be electing heads of Democratic parties that don't understand how to use Twitter, that don't (laughs) understand how to text message, that don't understand how to email or do a conference call. We shouldn't be electing them. We should be electing people that get it and people that are open to ideas. That's how we're going to get in the millennial vote. That was your question. How we get in that vote, 
Mm -hmm. We get the millennial vote, the Gen Z vote, by actually reaching out to them where they are. We have to reach the voter where they are, not ask the voter to come to where we are. That's how we do it. Well, you know, not only with millennials, but communities of color. I mean, I can can recall, thank you, like last year when, you know, they started talking about it. And I can recall, I was sitting in the airport, and it was right after, you know, the election. And this woman who six months before, if I had sat next to her, would have clutched her purse, Mm -hmm. said, Mm -hmm. thank you, black women. You know, and I'm I'm sort of like (laughs) looking at her like, you know, really? You know? You, you guys, if you guys come out and vote, look what you've done. And I'm thinking to myself, well, first of all, you don't know if I, if this was my first time, but you don't know where I am. But it was, <laughs> it was very, you know, patri- oh, thank you, black woman. And she's, t- and she said, you know, they did it, they did it. And you know, and part of me just wanted to slap her. <laughs> and and I, I, mean, I, I just wanted to slap her. But you know, she had on her her full liberal regalia, you know, and this was her showing how progressive and liberal she was. But then you look and we still have things that are happening to people of color, to black women, you know, yeah. to black queer women. And, you know, other than when it comes time to come to the polls, you're not thanking me. Mm-hmm. So I've been hmm. in- encouraged by the number of, of black women of color and black people who are running, but how do we not just be window dressing or just be at time of election? So I'm not just black during election time. I'm black. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm not just gay in June. I'm gay year round. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have to address issues all the time. And that's something that our candidates and our parties need to do. We have to address black women's issues all the time in every vote, in every legislation. We have to address black issues all the time. It can't be a special time to address these issues. There's not a special time when the state or the federal do not take taxes out of my check. It's all Mm -hmm. the time. I'm black all the time. My issues are important all the time. So it's twofold. I need politicians and Democratic leaders and Republican leaders to focus on our communities all the time. But I also need our communities to put the fire under these politicians. If you feel that your community is not being represented well, don't just complain about it. Call that office. Go to that office. Sit there. Be heard. Because you are paying their salary. It's up to us to hold our politicians accountable. So that's the twofold answer. That's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, and I agree with you, but, you, but then there's the other part of it is like, you know, um, in Chronicles of an Outsider, how you, you describe yourself, you're a member of the LGBT community, you're mm-hmm. a black man, you're an American mm-hmm. citizen. And you ask, am I not an everyday American? And sometimes, you know, I have found, and I know that you have too, it's like, you know, they want to put you in that box. Like, okay, well, you're going to talk about the black issue. You're going to talk about LGBT issue. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but you know what? I just jacked up my car hitting that pothole, and I'm concerned yep. about that. You know, I'm concerned, <laughs> about, you know, I'm concerned about the environment. And, you know, so it's like 
important that we we keep that. But again, we are everyday Americans, and absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, how do you stay in and out of that box? It's hard um, because mm-hmm. because there are I'm I'm really the only person like myself. There's very few of us here, and do I feel like I'm the only one in DuPage County that is both a, a person of color and openly gay doing what I do. And there's few of us in Illinois. There's few of us across the country. So I have to constantly think about everything and everyone. It's, it's hard. But, yeah, my, my car hits potholes all the time. That's an issue. Sometimes I'm invited to the, to the table to only discuss, quote, unquote, black issues. And I have learned over the course of doing what I do is I don't come to the table to do what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, not going to shuck and jive for you. So when I'm at the table, I'm going to discuss what I think is important to discuss. I don't let anyone drive my conversation. Ken Mejia Beal discuss what Ken Mejia Beal wants to discuss when he wants to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you don't let them white explain you? <laughs> nope, not at all. And, and that would be, <laughs> I don't. And I hope that every marginalized person out there in politics that's listening to this does the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it is true because it's often that's what you see. And I'll tell people, and they're like, oh, well, I don't know what to say. So you're here to bring what you've got and talk about yep. what you, you know, and it's sort of like I can so often I'll go to something and people, in fact, I've been introduced to this one thing. I said, well, I hope I don't disappoint you because that's not what I'm <laughs> here to do, you know. Exactly. And, and I think that that's one of the things that I love about young people and, and going into millennials. It's like many of them, they show up and what they show up, they're there to talk about. They're so forceful. They're there. And it's like, you know, but I am concerned about this. And, or if you don't bring it up, they're going to bring it in. So, uh, you know, so, what I I loved your article. It's not about you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that that's something that you articulated. What I think many black people deal with each and every day. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's like you want to go like you know. I I, I was talking uh, again like today. I had someone who ran for office here in Detroit. Okay, someone who's not even in this country was going to give this list about, you know, their issues and would this person address them. I'm going like, you know, I'm talking about my community and what's right for my community. I said, this is not about you. This is not your fight. You know, this is not your right. issue. You know, everybody doesn't have to do that. Writing about it's not about you. And you mentioned the pushback that you got from that. Tell me a little bit about that. What was your... What did you expect when you wrote it, and what was the most surprising reaction to it? Well, I wrote it about an actual personal experience I had um, with a, a uh, white person after I went to see a Jay-Z concert, and he was very angry about what he perceived as anti-cop rhetoric, anti-police mm-hmm. rhetoric. Um, so I was explaining to him, you know, about it, and that's when he pivoted and explained to me how the black community <laughs> operates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was immediately, it's happened so many times that I'm not shocked by it anymore. I bounce back. Um, it, it, it happens to all of us. It happens to marginalized people all the time. Um, I have unfortunately gotten used to it. 
It can be shocking the first couple hundred times it happens. (laughs) 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 But the problem is, is that, and I touch on this several times, I believe the problem is we have to look at each other as we are. Um, That's why I hate the saying, I don't see color or I don't see gender. You need to see gender because Mm -hmm. if I'm telling you about an experience, I need you to see that I'm a black man. I need you to see that what you do as a non-black man might not be what I can do. Um, So a lot of the responses I got were, you know, from a lot of white men who explained to me that they too have been pulled over by police officers Mm -hmm. and they took the police officer to court. Awesome. Well, I am not a white man. (laughs) I cannot take a police officer to court based on my word alone, no video, no nothing, and when? Welcome to America. So I don't need you to explain to me what I can do because I'm very intelligent. I know what I can do, but as a black man, I know how this is going to work. And that's the part that I think when, when we're explaining, you know, to someone outside of whatever our demographic is, they need to listen. Um, and it's not about you. It's pretty much that. When mm-hmm. I talk about my issues as a black man, I don't need you to get up in arms. I need you to listen. Because um, I say in that article, if, as every time I talk about this with a non-marginalized person, I'm interrupted, and I'm explained that all white people don't feel that way. All white people don't say this or that. Awesome. So what you now have to understand is this is not about you. Now I need to take time out from my point to kind of be extra sensitive, extra kid gloves, to explain to you something that's not even about you. It gets irritating. Women go Mm -hmm. through it all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Marginalized people in general have to, we always have to censor ourselves, apologize for what we're about to say, scan the room. We can't just say a simple declarative thought because it's going to be, explained back to us it's mm-hmm. irritating <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very irritating mm-hmm. and you know and it, and it sort of tells you i mean and i have to tell people you know like i say i said i know a lot of white people i said the difference i said between the ones i know and the ones i consider friends are the ones who when they say something like that and i can push back and mm-hmm. then later on we're friends we're still friends <laughs> because some people it's just like oh and then suddenly you can see it's sort of like I mean, for me, it's like I can see them have a side eye, like, oh, angry black woman. Don't talk to her about that. Mm. Where the cool. ones who are my friends, we can continue to have these sometimes contentious conversations. And that's what it's about. And I, I tell this to people all the time because I've been accused of, you know, I'm, uh, being on the attack mode. And my thing is the only reason I'm on the attack mode is because I'm a black man. So there is no mm-hmm. real attack here. I'm very gentle. Um, but my husband is half white. My, mm-hmm. my in-laws are, are white. Um, my best friend of 20 years is white. Um, you know, I, I, when it comes to that kind of bias, I don't have it. It's not in me. Mm-hmm. But and you know, when I'm explaining the world to you through the eyes of a black man, if you are not a black man, I would appreciate if you listen. And I think mm-hmm. that's what marginalized people need. If you were explaining to me, Ken, this is what I go through as a woman, I'm not going to jump in and explain anything to you. I am not a woman. It's my job to listen. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's 
what I want to throw in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and, and it's actually, and it's an opportunity to learn. And some people, I mean, which is part of privilege, is that they can be mm-hmm. oblivious, just yes. totally oblivious. You know, I had talked to someone who was having a, a fundraiser out in the suburbs, and I was like, well, you know, if it's done before dark. And they were like, well, mm-hmm. oh, this is, but this is so nice, you know, and, and, and this is, a, you know, we're out in the suburb. It's a beautiful house. You'll love it. And I said, but you don't understand. But after a certain point in time, I'm driving not only alone as a woman, but as a mm-hmm. black woman in a suburb where I'm going to get pulled over. You know, I'm mm-hmm. more likely to get pulled over just because. Oh, no, that would never happen out here. I said, no, it <laughs> does. And, you know, and, to, and to, to think about that, and often when I'm telling people and they're planning events, I said, do you think about that? You know, do you think about walk as we walk in our skin in certain places, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Ken, we're going to take our first break here. and. Oh, okay. um Okay, well, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just joining me, my guest today is political strategist and organizer, Ken Mejia Beal. Ken, I mean, there are so many things that, that, that it's important that we talk about. And I also liked how you talked about HIV, AIDS, and the right-wing Republican agenda. People, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about the gay agenda, but, you know, the right-wing has had an agenda a lot longer, and they've been really good at implementing it. You know, mm-hmm. I tell people, like, like, they have elected people. They started electing people for to manage the doghouse, and now they've got one in the White House. And yep, we absolutely. have not been that strategic and thinking about it. When you're working with, with candidates now, I mean, or when you see someone who you think should be a candidate, how do you get them off the fence? You know, um, you mean by figuring out um, if they should run, how they should run. Uh, oh, and letting them know that it ain't easy. <laughs> anyone that's seriously considering running, they already know that it's not easy. So that mm-hmm. part is done. For me, um, if you feel that you can really inspire change and move and move forward, I think you should run. What I look for before I work with any candidate on any level 
do you believe in do you believe in social reform? If the answer is, uh, uh, and when I say social reform, I mean our criminal justice system. If your answer mm-hmm. to that is no, you're not working with me. Do mm-hmm. you believe um, that? Uh, the, do you think the marijuana should be legal in some way, shape, or form? If your answer to that is no, you're not working with me. What do you think about um, how how do you feel about HIV AIDS medication payment plans? testing, getting the word out. If you are oblivious, you're not working with me. My job, when I decide to get with a candidate, I am not going to hold your hand and walk you through the landmine of life. I need you to have a set agenda, and I need your agenda to be somewhat in line with mine. Now, the rest of the things, I've worked with candidates where we disagree on certain things. But when it comes to women's rights, black rights, gay rights, human rights, we can't disagree. No, things about, uh, yeah, we cannot disagree. Taxes, we can disagree. Um, any financial thing, we can disagree. Because money comes and goes. People's rights, once they go, it's hard to get them back. So that's where I, that's my heart stop. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I love a point that, that you make that I agree with. It's like, there is that part. And I often tell people, you know, it's always been, if you make someone feels like there's someone that they are slightly better than, slightly, you know, like they had indentured servants who were slaves. They were white. Yeah. But they called them indentured slave servants. They had a pathway to freedom, and they were better than black people. I mean, and, and like you said, now you see we're talking about this business of immigrants and all like that. And when really we're all in the same barrel, we're just trying to make you think that, you know, you're a little bit better than that. So to turn you against Correct. that, as you yes. talk to people and, you know, you have, a, you have a bar and I think it's a great bar as to what, you know, this is a line we don't step over. We can disagree on economics. We can disagree on this, but there's social, social issues that we do. We're so divided. I mean, even yes. on, on, I guess you call it the progressive side, you know, there's some people who don't, even in the LGBT community, people who don't get, why isn't everybody and their mother up in arms about murderers of trans people? This is a person, a human being. But like mm-hmm. some, like, I mean, in fact, I remember hearing, hearing it and I someone saying, well, you know, it's what they do. And not being, you know, no, no, you know, no one should be murdered. And there are Correct. things that, you know, why aren't we up in arms about children being detained? You know, separated from their parents. These are human rights issue. But how do we, and you've talked about this, how do we then stop this separation, stop this, this, well, you know, recognize when you talk about me too, you mean us too? So that's a very complex question. Um, It starts with understanding that we're all human. When we start to build borders and boundaries, I'm, I'm really quickly, uh, there's a young lady in DuPage County, her name's uh, Prevel Banga, and I hope I pronounced her name correctly. She is from Downers Grove. She started uh, a fundraiser to raise uh, money and funds for Chicago Public School students for school supplies. She went to the, uh, the DuPage County Board to speak on this, and one of the DuPage County Board members, who is a woman, um, uh, last name, I believe, Janice Anderson, um, reminded her 
that it's our tribal nature or something to that effect to do well for our own so that we, the people in DuPage County should do for their own because Chicago's not in DuPage County. That's yeah. the dog whistle. That's the dog uh-huh. whistle because what she was saying to this young um, black lady is your people don't matter. Uh-huh. And that's where we separate because it's really easy to say, well, those people are from a different country, so that's not my problem. Those people are from a different state. That's not my problem. Those people have a different zip code. That's not my problem. When we start to break it down that way, it's really easy not to give a damn about other people. If you are not a trans person and you don't care about trans people, you forget the murder and you're stuck on the trans. Mm -hmm. For me, I love trans people. So I'm I'm on the murder part. Who murders Mm -hmm. anybody? We need to find out. The children in cages, I don't care what country they came from. I, I, that part does not enter my brain because borders and boundaries are man-made. My, my empathy is, is God-given, it's divine, it's divinity. I care about people. So I don't care what country these children came from. They're in cages. They're in mm-hmm. cages because of the American government. So I think when we start to say, I don't, I cannot care about boundaries and borders to the degree where it cuts off my empathy, then we will start to see a change. But it's going to take a long time to get there. You know, and, and that's why, and you, you look at people who stand up and, and who do that, and people who, who take that, that, that position and say that, and there needs to be more. And sometimes being out there, and being the person to say it, you know, that's why it's so important to be out, you know, in all your identities, because someone can see it. You know, once I went to, uh, there's a city here in Michigan, which was one of the last homes of the KKK, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they couldn't get anyone to come up there. They were doing a protest against bullying, and they, they were having a hard time getting someone to come up there. And so I went, you know, and... They call me an outside rabble rouser, but you know, hey, I went. And and at that at one point, because I was with an organization, was supposed to be dealing with bullying. Okay, and she said, I don't understand why you would come up here. And I said, Well, you know, when we stop thinking of them as our kids, mm-hmm. and saying that it's okay for some kids to get bullied and some kids not, and I'm only concerned about the kids right here. But I said, Then we failed all of our children. I said, So absolutely. Why wouldn't I be here? You know? And so she and I marched armed and armed with my my one car police escort following me around the block, you know? But but it's like these things have to happen, and that's why it's so important to be out, to be an American citizen, to be your full and authentic self, and to, to speak. Now, you're out. I mean, you know, you, you hold no, no, you don't try to hide. You're writing. No. You're, you're no. speaking, you're doing it, you're living authentically. Absolutely. You know, when you, are you finding that young people, are they looking for that level of authenticity or, or is it important that they see that that level of authenticity is there to help them live their lives? So I, I love, thank you for asking me that. Um, I love talking to younger people. And when I say younger, just so we're all clear, younger for me is 40 and under. Mm-hmm. 
And I say that because I will say between the ages of 40 and 25, those people are so used to being lied to that talking to somebody like me is like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to have real conversation. I don't like to have politically correct conversation. Let's just talk. People 24 and under I enjoy talking to because a lot of them have not had that so ingrained in their brain that they have to be so PC all the time and, and, and say what I want them to say what, you know, they think I want to hear. I love those conversations. Mm-hmm. I love their, their honesty. I was very fortunate. Um, Jack West of, of uh, Lyle, Illinois, was able to bring the Parkland, Florida kids here. Um, she also had the St. Sabina kids from Chicago here uh, for a rally about uh, gun violence. And I was so fortunate that I was kind of the chaperone in the room with these kids. It was the best 30 minutes of my life. So refreshing, so honest. Um, and, and before they got on stage, I made all the kids spit out their gum because I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> no chewing gum on stage, I think, is tacky. But mm-hmm. those kids, they got it. Like, I'm so proud of the future because they don't care. But it's the 20, I'll say 26 to 40 year old. We've got to get out of that. Mm-hmm. You've got to get out of it. You've got to say what you mean and mean what you say and own it. Mm-hmm. And I own it. <laughs> I own it. So who gave that to you? Who put that in your head that you have to be this person? You know, is there one person growing up that you can recall that set that standard for you? Yes, Eva Vinson. Uh, she's my grandmother. She passed away in January of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 2003. And um, she was one of the most honest people I ever met. And her favorite thing was just straight up, be straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I talk to people, I'm straight up. Um, if you're offended by something I say, let me know you're offended, and I'll rein it in. But I'm, I need to talk to you so that you understand what I'm saying. There are so many times I get involved in conversations with people, and they're so fixed on trying to say what they think should be said that I walk away not knowing what the hell just happened. I don't know what you stand for. I don't know what you mean. I don't know. I like people that are just straightforward, um, and I can deal with them better. I think as a society we need to talk to each other, and we need to be straightforward. So that's, I mean, I learned so much from my, my grandmother, Eva, um, that that would be a whole other broadcast, but <laughs> it, it really yeah. would be. But she always said, be straight up with people. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Oh, yeah. Well, my grandmother would say, "What comes up comes out." <laughs> so exactly. say, "Well, okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, now, yeah. Uh, we we've talked a bit about voting, and you know, and how important it is. And I'm gonna tell you, if I had, I mean, and even I'd say, even pre Barack Obama, um, mm-hmm. if I had a dollar, I mean, you know, because back at, you know, I I went to a a Catholic, nice Catholic school that. This, we had a teacher who was very much about civics and talked about how the government works. So I knew that there were three branches long before I knew Schoolhouse Rock. You know, I knew <laughs> what it took. You know, I knew mm-hmm. that it all did. And so each time, you know, when I, one of the reasons that I often tell people, you know, when they would say, well, I don't know why to vote. And I'd say, you know, Supreme Court of the United Supreme States. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, this, 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 is, this is like, you don't get it. And people go, oh, blah, blah, blah. 
And now look, we're on the the, bull, the edge of this cliff that mm-hmm. could affect us for generations. Yes, absolutely. It's going to take at least 20 to 30 years to fix this when it comes to our judicial system, our Supreme Mm -hmm. Court. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, among many people, am on the donor list for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, anything she (laughs) wants. You know, but but it's like, you know, if we're able to, even if we're able to flip the Congress, if there's this blue wave, you know. Yes. How how much can we do about the Supreme Court and any positions that might come up empty? I mean, and so sometimes you have to own your bed and lie in it. Mm. We made it. We made this mess. We we are going to have to deal with that fallout. Um, I, I wish I could say something optimistic right now, but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. The orange man is there. He gets to pick. Those are the rules. Mm-hmm. But we need to get the orange man out before he can pick any more people. We need to get to the polls. We need to vote. And sweet Jesus, we don't need to throw our votes away to, like, third-party candidates right now. Thank you. <laughs> we, Thank and, you. And, and before anyone says, like, democracy, I believe in democracy. But right now, times are dire. This is This is dire times. I am totally okay with the Green Party. I have many friends that are in the Green Party. I have many friends that are socialists. I have uh, acquaintances that vote for the Republican Party. Right now, if you are not on the side of the Republican Party, I hope and I implore that you vote for the Democrat. Mm-hmm. And then after we get ourselves back together, go and vote for whoever you want to. But for right now, goal number one should be to get people that believe in democracy into the into office. Now, you know, especially after after twenty sixteen. And like I said, I have acquaintances who who are wear red and um mm-hmm. and people are like, how can you and, and I've gone to things afterwards and people said, How can you you talk to them? Well some people you don't even waste your time. You know, like they don't reach the body but there are some people and I've met, you know, women voted mm-hmm. against their own interests, but voted on one issue, um, mm-hmm. abortion, because mm-hmm. they were right to life, and I said to death. And, but, but to be able to have a conversation to them, you know, let your body do what you want, but let's talk about what's happening to our kids. And there's yeah. a place that if you can refocus them, you're not trying to get them to say, you know, I mean, if they're down with the Pope, hey, you know, Dominos Vobiscum. I'm uh, good, good for you. But right. let's talk about what happens after these children get here. And there's no way they can not be, if they're even slightly awake, appalled at our education system, about poverty, you know, about hunger, you know, about the state of our city. So, but you, we've become so polarized that you even have yeah. some people like, oh, I'll never go over there and talk to them. How often do you step over the line and say, okay, well, this is worth me trying to not, you know, change a heart and mind, but to just move it? So it, it depends. When it comes to, uh, like I said earlier, my socialist friends, I just had a wonderful weekend with my socialist friends. Um, and I don't mean democratic socialists. I mean, like, full-on socialists. Mm-hmm. Socialists. 
um, he's going to kill me for this. I grew up in a house with a, a stepfather who's a socialist. Um, I find that socialists, their hearts are in the right place. Our ideologies about the economy differ. I think they tend to be very good people. I don't mind crossing over to them. And we're, we tend to agree until we get to the economy, and then it falls apart. Um, libertarians, or as I like to call them, Republican white, diet Republican. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have friends that are libertarians. They're good people. Um, I can talk to them. Republicans, I have very good acquaintances that I've had for a long time that are Republicans. Um, I do talk to them about issues. The reluctance to call them friends, however, um, and I'm going to be very clear about this, when you step into my home and you support my marriage, you support my right to happiness and you support my liberty, but you step in the ballot box and you take all that away, you're not my friend. Uh-huh. And that's why I'm very reluctant right now to say my friend, the Republican, because if you are still voting Republican, to strip away my marriage, strip away health care, strip away my right to drive down the street without being you know, killed by an overzealous police officer, you're not my friend. But I am willing to cross over and talk to anybody about anything at any time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, they, they don't, they don't, I mean, it's just like, you don't. Uh, how can you say you love me and you, oh, I'm so happy to see you happy, but then you're going to go and vote and strip away everything. Everything, everything. yeah. You know. That was, and, that was a big truth bomb I just dropped there. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, I, I mean it, it really is true. Although, you know, I have known, I mean, I have, I have, and like I said, you can see, and I, People can change. People can see the light. Absolutely. I have known people, you know, I mean, back before President Obama, you know, back then who were actually uh, log cabin Republicans. And I'm looking at them and going like, what? And then, well, now they've come on over to, you know, they, they started to recognize and see things in a different way. And now they are like way on the blue side and recognizing I'm saying, well, you know, you've got one or two friends who are over there. You need to be talking to them. You know, mm-hmm. you need to be talking to them because that's still your tribe. You know, uh, so, you know, but it, but it's really, it's just crazy. But, um, you know, do you often feel, I mean, you're speaking up and you're saying these things mm-hmm. and often it is people of color who are saying these hard things. I mean, and, and even though at the top of many of the parties, it's still often old white men, but mm-hmm. people who are saying and talking about change and talking about how we can live, be more human and leave a world that's better for our children to see <laughs> are people of color. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I know my grandmother was also one of those ones who often told you like, hey, you know, sometimes you got to be, the better person. But don't you sometimes get tired of being the better person? Um, well, I've never tried to be a better person. <laughs> I've tried to be the honest person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, love Michelle Obama. When they, go high, uh, when they go low, we go high. You go low on me, I'm going gutter. Because Thank you. I, I'm, not doing, I'm not playing this game with you. And I think that's a game, especially Democrats have been playing for a long time. Democrats have been playing like Downton Abbey, like let's have tea with them. Republicans are playing Game of Thrones. 
They're out here locking kids' cages <laughs> and de facto killing people. Mm-hmm. I'm not having tea with you. Mm-hmm. This is the, I think Democrats and people on the left in general kind of need to grow a pair. We need to get some, some oomph about ourselves and not take everything lying down. The reason I think a lot of the aggression um, you know, politically is coming from women and people of color is because we've always been here. This is not new to us. But mm-hmm. now that we're here, now we're in level 10. I think mm-hmm. to a lot of, of especially older white men that are part of the movement, I love to see them in the movement, they're at a level two right now. Like this is new to them. I've always been black. I've been gay, mm-hmm. you know, for longer than I can remember. This isn't new to me. I'm just sick of it. Now people actually, I finally have a platform to speak. I was born for Trump administration. I was mm-hmm. born for this. I w- mm-hmm. I'm ready for this because this is, I'm used to it. I'm mm-hmm. not going to fall down and cry because someone called me out of my name. I've been called the N-word more times than you can imagine. I've had people tell me they hope I die of AIDS. I've been called a, a dirty everything you can think of. At this stage of my life, I've heard it all, seen it all. I'm good. I'm ready, for, I'm ready to fight now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to go like, and? <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you call me like, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, and, you know, being yeah. called worse by better. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, and, and I think that it is true. Like, it's like, it, that's why we can. It's sort of like, you know, okay, we had that moment where you thought you could hit on us, and guess what? You didn't break us, so here we are. And if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You know, right. but I'm going to hit you now. back. Like, <laughs> like you said, but, you know, I would send up people say, I'm going to hit you back in a smarter, more effective, I'm just going to crush you. And I said, I often think that, too, that if you really, I'd love to sit down with Michelle Obama and ask her, when you said hi, did you mean from a higher level, like like raining down <laughs> nuclear missiles on them and just crushing them? <laughs> or, you know, and you couldn't say all that, so you just left that, we go high, you know? Or, uh, what exactly did you mean by all of that, you know? I would love to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, really. I mean, I'd like to sit down with them and sort of say, okay, well, let, let, tell me about all of this. You saw it coming. I mean, and I mean... <laughs> I mean, we talk about chickens coming home to roost. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. after I, mean, I think that even after four years of Trump, you know, it's going to be that way. I mean, they're going to be orange. This orange rooster has been strutting around the hen house, and they're going to drop some eggs on white people that they're just going to be so shocked at because they've been able to paint this picture like, oh, well, who gets welfare? You know what? There's more white people who get welfare than black. I mean, you know, I mean, if you look in Michigan, people who are, there are whole towns in the UP that are getting assistance, and they all voted for Trump, okay? I mean, when you look at who's still getting, I mean, they want to put that brown face on HIV and AIDS. They want to put their brown face on crime. But if you stop and you look, you know, just by the numbers, it's not all, you know, it's not that way. And they're so voting against their own best interest that when it hits them, you know, yeah, he's going to terrify them. Well, guess what? When your plan is gone and all of y'all are out of work, you know, who are you going to blame then? Well, and, and I think that's where the coming together comes into place. Um, 
you know, instead of looking at, you know, I'm a poor black person, you're a poor white person, let's be poor people mm-hmm. and let's move ourselves forward. All of these boundaries, as I said earlier, are meant to divide. Let's break mm-hmm. them down. And mm-hmm. we can do, I think we can do it with conversations like this one. We can break down these boundaries, but we have to talk to each other. It's super important. And we have to listen to each other. Yeah, I know because yeah, I know that you had the one example where uh, you were talking about the kids being in cages and people say, well, they're living better than me. But you know what? Isn't the bottom line no one should be like that? I mean, no, no one should be poor. No one should be separated. No one should be incarcerated, you know, unfairly. No one should be that poor where you're eating, you know, frozen sandwiches. I mean, so, yeah, maybe your life is bad, but should it be? You know, isn't that the biggest thing? especially when you talk about making America great again, shouldn't it be making America great again for everyone? Well, so I'm going to clear this up, and this is going to get both of us in a lot of trouble, but I do want to say this. Mm-hmm. Make America great again. I would love to know when that time was, when America was greater than mm-hmm. it is with, with freedom. But statistically, America has never been great, statistically. When you look at mm-hmm. numbers, education, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's make America great. I want to make America great. But making America great means including Americans, all mm-hmm. Americans, and moving us to better education, better health, uh, a better understanding of space, a better understanding of each other and of cultures. That's how we make America great. Make America great again was destined to fail because it never happened. Mhm. Mhm. No, there's so many problems that there have been that if you you know you just sort of reshifted them and they're still there. It's the same Absolutely. problems that are there. You know, maybe you've got a different group. Hey, well, maybe you have some people who came up in the northern migration and they had to work in the plants, and then now their children have gone, you know, on to college, and you've got your black PhDs and stuff, but. How many black kids are still undereducated, living in poverty, and have no options? So, you know, it's not it's great problem. for everyone. No. I would love to live in, an, live in an America, and I'm not even going to say great, because there's always going to be issues. It's never going to be perfect. I would like to live in America where it's kind of good for everybody, where we're moderately successful, everybody. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I know. I know. So I want to, we're going to talk, and I'm going to take a break in a minute, but before, and I want to start to talk about white fragility, but I'm going to tell you, <laughs> don't you believe that Donald Trump really has something wrong with him about black men? I mean, is this some type of envy? You know, so, I mean, everything is-, is Barack Obama's heart, and what? You know, LeBron goes and does something, and he's going to take on LeBron. You know, hmm. <laughs> To answer that, and it is so much deeper than 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 Donald Trump, and it's so much deeper than. But I'm going to sum it up. People like Donald Trump don't like black people, brown mm-hmm. people, or women that get power on their own. They like people that they've given it to. That's why Donald Trump is okay with Ben Carson. He gave Ben Carson something. Mm-hmm. He's not okay with LeBron James. LeBron James earned it on his own. So there are a lot of 
people like Donald Trump in this country where if a person of color or a woman tries to obtain power on their own, it's a problem. That is Donald Trump's issue. He doesn't like black people that have a level of success that they've gained on their own. I'm sure he used to love Omarosa. He gave her something. Uh-huh. He likes people he has given something to. That's, so that answers, that's why he feels the way he does about, and it's not, I mean, he goes after these prominent black men more because they're prominent. Because uh-huh. they're prominent. Um, but what you're seeing, the way he talks about President Obama, LeBron James, um, Hillary Clinton even, uh-huh. is because these people have got power, gathered power on their own. He started this, if you go back to YouTube and you listen to some of the things he said about Rosie O'Donnell back in the day. Uh-huh. It's pure, vile hatred because she got where she is on her own. This is not new Donald Trump. This is the same Donald Trump that tried to put the Central Park Five away for life. That Thank you. Thank yes. you. Uh-huh. Same old Donald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really, I mean, because that's the thing, you know, and, and it, which is amazing to me who people feel like, oh, well, he can change, you know, maybe <laughs> his daughter can change him, you know, black preachers can pray for him. This man's <laughs> not going to change. He's been like this since, no. he, since, he, since he came on the scene. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. They, you know, and how they didn't know what they were getting is, well, is, is those, amazing to me. Those black preachers are in it for the money. They're not, they're not mm-hmm. real. It's not real. It's for the camera. And Ivanka is what I like to call, uh, or Ivana, or whatever her name is, Ivana Trump. Or is it Ivanka? Ivanka oh, yeah, Ivan. No, it's confusing. Ivana is the daughter. Okay. Yeah. Well, whomever she is, <laughs> um, she is a polite racist. She is the kind mm-hmm. of racist that will smile in your face and call you the N-word as soon as you step into one of her fancy establishments. That's who she is. So let's mm-hmm. not kid ourselves and think that she's some progressive whatever. She is a racist that will be polite to you to your face and say horrible things about you behind your back. That's who she is. Mm-hmm. So uh, since you opened the door, because I, I, you know, here in Michigan, I can tell you, and, I'm, and I don't remember which president it was, but I do remember what governor it was. It was this Governor Engler who had this faith-based <laughs> initiative. And suddenly you had all these preacher pimps, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you, got, you know, you know, you know, come on in here. Let me pimp you every Sunday. You go back to poverty and, and I need a rose and they pimp them more. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm going to tell you, I know gay people who go to these churches and these people are even talking about gay people. And I'm going like, you like <sighs> gay. you sitting up here in this church and he's saying that, how can you go there? And mm. how can you think that, you know, your minister needs a rose? Hell, Jesus rose in, rode in on a donkey, okay? He didn't even <laughs> have a fiery steed. He rode in no. on a donkey, okay? So, but you're listening to them, and you're so influenced by them, even to the point where I have been to things where afterwards people, I mean, they are, were close to tears talking about how horrible it was to go into this church on Sunday and hear this minister who was giving them a good word, but then he would talk about gays and it, it just hurt them. But next Sunday they went. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you have black people who, you know, you've got a great cathedral that you go to every Sunday and you live in abject poverty. Mm-hmm. How do the heck, 
how, you know, really, how the hell do we break this hold? I mean, so here's... I'm going to, I'm going to, once again, I'm going to prepare you a little bit ahead of time. This is going to be a truth <laughs> bomb. Going to okay. be a big mm-hmm. black church in America um, can be a lot like a plantation um, where it enslaves the black mind to these dogmatic ideas and these principles that they don't understand. Um, it, it is really sad to me. Um, I am not anti-religion. I, I believe in a higher power. But with that said, I, am, I do not believe in dogma. Mm-hmm. I believe in doing things that make sense to me and, and, and fit into the world that I live in today. Um, when it comes to a lot of, and not all, there are some great churches out there. There's definitely some great black churches out there. But when you, the churches you're talking about, those old school, you know, black churches, those are plantations. And it's mm-hmm. up to those people that keep going back to stop going. Slavery's over. You don't have to keep going there. There are places that will accept you. No, uh, it, it, just, it, sort of, it just amazes me. You know, it just still amazes me. But, and the fact that many of them now are really, if you have people who are not thinking critically and who can't walk away from it, and I do understand that for some people, you know, life is really tough and they go there and it, it does something for them. I mean, you know. And I don't knock what some people say. If someone tells me that when they go to church, it, it does something for them. I don't knock it's that. Sure. I understand that. You know, it's I sure. can understand that. But when you're listening to this person and you let him influence you politically, you know, I have a problem with that. Well, you know, before you go to break, I'm going to tell you something that, that I mm-hmm. love. Always beware of a politician that talks to you about God and beware of a pastor that talks to you about politics. Mm-hmm. Be, be very weary of both of those things happening. Mm-hmm. I, I'm into politics. That's my thing. If you were to go through all of my social media feeds, I do not talk about my personal religious beliefs ever for a mm-hmm. reason. I'm in politics. It has nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Well... We're going to take this break so you and I can go and wrap ourselves in aluminum foil so that lightning bolt don't get us. Because <laughs> uh, we crossed over into that lane. And when we come back, I want to talk about what I think is a must read, your, um, your piece on white fragility. So we will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Here talking with today's guest, K. 
Duncan Mejia Beal. Okay. You, I mean, you gave, like, a, a, what is it, a, a trigger alert. You know, I'm putting this piece out. It's coming out. People are going to get upset about this. I'm going to warn you mm-hmm. now. And, you know, yeah. I, I couldn't get to it quick enough. <laughs> I could not get to it quick enough. Now, mm-hmm. um, in fact, you said, because you, you wrote it for uh, Patriot Not Partisan, and you said that um, Alyssa Milano, who founded that, said, you know, are you sure? You, you sure you want to do this? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, how did you get involved with um, Patriot Not Partisan? And what was your response to that when, when she said, you know, are you sure? You know, are you sure you want to go with this? So with that, uh, I, I got involved with Patriot Not Partisan in the very beginning. It was something I heard about. Um, I used to be a writer. I wanted to get back into writing. Um, and I won't tell you the long, boring story, but I was accepted as one of their writers, and I love working with that. Alyssa Milano is incredible um, and, and, and the feedback I've gotten. So I wrote an article about Me Too a while ago um, about, you know, my personal experience in that situation, and, and I got a, a kickback, like, is this what you want to release? And I've always said if I don't feel like I should put it out there into the universe because of the the, the backlash, I definitely got to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Like I have to. Because if I'm, I always say you have to get uncomfortable to free yourself. So if I am making myself uncomfortable, I know I got to put it out there. So it's the same thing with White Fragility. I wrote it uh, in about three hours. And I read it, and I said, oh, God, this can never be read by anybody. <laughs> no one can ever read this. And I said, that's why people have to read it. And I put it out there, and, and now I'm here. <laughs> so I'm happy mm-hmm. I did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I know. Like, I, I have written some things, and like, I'll give myself, like, okay, let me think about this. Mm-hmm. You know? And usually <laughs> the only thing that I'll go back and do it's like, you know, clean up some grammar and then send it, you know. But, but you know, like you said, if it makes you uncomfortable and you know that it's going to make even your friends uncomfortable, but it's like, but I got to say it. I got to say it, yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I said <laughs> No apologies. Mm-hmm. 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 So what has been the feedback you've gotten from it? Well, it's funny. Um, most of the feedback from all demographics has been really good, um, super good. It's been surprising. Um, I thought that a lot of um, of my white readers would not get it. And when I tell you they got it, they got it. They were mm-hmm. like, Ken, you're right on, dead on. What you're saying here is stuff I've never thought about, blah, blah, blah. Everyone, every so often, though, I would get a comment from a white person who would explain to me that that's not how all white people are and that whole thing, um, or why do we have to talk about race so much? And the ironic part about that is if that's your response to reading that article, you are who the article is about. You're uh-huh. being fragile about a race issue. Um, and, and, and white fragility is a real thing. Um, it's, it's a real thing, and it, 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 it trickles down through everything we, we, we do and everything we're seeing right now. Uh, white fragility is why Donald Trump is in the White House, uh, because he is there to restore 
the white ego. Um, mm-hmm. And he's even said that when he talks about being the person, being a president that listens to the unlistened to or people, you know, the unheard or whatever crap he put out there, he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to someone in rural Kentucky that felt that the black man that was in the White House didn't listen to him. That's who he, that's mm-hmm. Donald Trump talking to. Mm-hmm. So, and what I talk about in the article is a lot of the gun violence, uh, mass shootings. And let me be very clear, I'm talking about mass shootings. And most of those mass shootings are, are white male uh, shooters. And that is, and I talk about how fragile that ego is. Um, and as I said earlier, I've been called an N-word in the workplace, outside the workplace, all, all the time. I've never once said, let me pick up a gun and go shoot people. Mm-hmm. Because I was raised, and this is what I talk about in the article, as a black man in America, I was raised that this world is going to treat you like garbage. It's going to keep you down. It's going to kick you out. You've got to be tough. You've got to be strong. Nobody's going to love you the way we love you at home. That's what I was taught. And that's how a lot of people of color are brought up. As opposed to a lot of our, our, our white brothers and sisters who are brought up, if you're good to people, people are going to be good to you. Mm-hmm. That's not what's taught in, in, in most households of color. So when I'm in the workplace and bad stuff happens because of my race or because of my sexual orientation, I don't feel compelled to go ballistic because I was brought up to expect that this is what would happen. Um, I was expected that I would always not be treated very kindly in uh, reserved white spaces. And that's where I think the fragileness comes from, is that now because of the success of so many people of color, so many immigrants, so many women, white men have to kind of step up their game. It's not okay to be mediocre anymore. You have to give 110% just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. I am personally happy that that is, is happening. And at the end of the article, and this is what I stress, being white in America does not mean being less than. It never should mean being less than. I have white family, white friends. I love, not like, not tolerate, love. Would drive three hours to pick them up from a bus station. And I've done it in the rain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they should not be treated less than, but they shouldn't be treated greater than either. And I feel that about all races. No race is greater than or less than another. And that's kind of the gist of the article. Um, and a lot of people just didn't pick that up because they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. But that's the gist of it. And, you know, and I think, too, I guess, like you said, you give the example of like working in the, uh, I think it was at a bank and there was a guy who took yep. up the hall. Okay. We expect, All we know somebody's going to do yep. that and they're going to challenge you. And it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to have to stand up and you know, that nine times out of 10 management is not going to back you. And so Correct. we go in there knowing that, but often particularly white people, they, they feel have a sense of entitlement. Like, well, of course this is going to go right. This is supposed to happen right for me. This is supposed to do that. Well, we go in there knowing, you know what, it's tough. And you know what, life is tough. It's real uh, hard. <laughs> life, real life hard. is tough. You know, I was at um, Lansing Community College, and there was this, this young, young white woman, and she was just going on and on. I care how life was so, she just couldn't believe life was so hard. 
and it was, you know, this was happening to her, you know, she was taking a class so she could get away from her job in McDonald's. She had a couple of kids without benefit of marriage, and mm-hmm. life wasn't supposed to be that hard because her father told her that, you know, this was how it was supposed to be. And I said, you know what? I could take change your name to Shaniqua and drop you down in Detroit, and, you you know, you fit right in. And mm-hmm. she was like, no, I'm not like them. No, you mm. are. And life <laughs> is hard when you make the, you, you make, you've made your choice on how you wanted to live your life, you made the choice. You knew that McDonald's wasn't going to get it, so you're back at school. You don't want Which anything does. different than Shaniqua does. Right. But somehow or other, she didn't get that. Well, I love that you're saying that because it's true. There's so much that unites us. Um, and something that if I can circle back because there's something about that hallway story, how, you know, he expected me to move out of the way all the time. And the one day I didn't move, he went to management and complained about me. And what I took from that, and this is what we should all take from what's happening in America right now, is when the oppressed stand up for themselves, we automatically become the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and when we say, we are not okay with you say, calling, calling me that name. I'm not okay with you touching my hair. I'm not okay with you saying the N-word and rap music because you think it's cool. Now mm-hmm. we are becoming the oppressor. We're too politically correct. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not for political correctness, but I am for being kind to people and respecting people's spaces. Um, so and that's the gist of, of that hallway story is that when the oppressor has to actually acknowledge the oppressed, the oppressed becomes the oppressor. Like it's mm-hmm. all of our fault mm-hmm. that I'm not okay with you treating me the way you have been treating me. So, I mean, it was, it was, as I said earlier, one of those articles where I wrote it and I said, I am never, I was planning on never, ever, ever releasing it, ever. Um, and I really want to thank Darnell Bobo, who's an activist in Chicago, who made, he, he pretty much, he, I mentioned him in the article, but he made me do it. And he held me accountable as a black man in America. Mm-hmm. And it's not often that my friends hold me accountable because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can be slightly difficult. But he made me accountable. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he said, uh-huh. you are a black man with a voice, and you, you're smart and you're a great writer. You have to speak. And so that's what it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thanks. Well, you thank him for all of us, you know. And I'll tell you, <laughs> I, got, um, I had shared it with people, and I got a private message from someone who was white, who said, thank you for sharing that. You know, it's so true. And, you know, and it's like, you know, okay, well, this can be our little secret that you know that it's true. And, you know, (laughs) you know, that you know that it's true. And you let me know that you know that it's true. But it was sort of like it needed something that needed to be out there to be said and that they could they could get it. So, you know, and I and I don't have a problem with them being like, you know, in the closet about appreciating your work, you know, and your words. Oh, but, um, well, I write for everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, and really, and that's why, I mean, but like you said, how sometimes we do, uh, I try not to self-police my thing, because I think, like, I have friends who said, oh, I wouldn't put that up and share it with that, because, you know, people might think that you think that way. I said, well, I might think that way, and what do you think of that if I do? <laughs> and, you know, and people are often 
but you have to, like you said, you have to be out there. You have to say that. You have to stand in front of thing, people and say, speak your truth, yes. knowing that everybody might not agree. But Correct. sometimes they might not agree in the moment, but down the road go like, hmm, he was right. And that's what I hope. Or that I was wrong and we can have a conversation about it. Either mm-hmm. way, I just, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that while I go and go, one last thing before I let you go. You know, one of the things that, you know, we had talked briefly about millennials and, and the way that you're doing it. And, I mean, when we were at the STEAM Awards, I mentioned um, this friend of mine, Eric Darnell Pritchard, who talked about language. He talked about literacy. And, you know, and often people will they'll go like, I've had people like, they can't even write cursive. Well, you know, you can't. You know, you can't send me a message in an emoji. So, you know, hey. You know, right. But it's, but it, but it, yeah. But it's a form of, of literacy, and often in talking to educators, they, I've heard them say, well, you know, those millennials, they can't read, they can't do this, all they can do is this stuff, and that. but that's their form of literacy. Yeah. How do we integrate all of this? You know, because I think as much as I do love the written word, and mm-hmm. I, I, love, I love words, I love literature, I love books, I love all kinds of music. And I think that there's a place for all of it and it can all we can learn and benefit from all of it. But how do we then help that happen in the society? Because we're starting to, again to buy build silos. There's the millennial silo, there's the Gen X silo, there's the Yeah. You know. So to answer that question I'm gonna go back to and perfect question. The first thing we talked about Mm-hmm. which is getting more young people into positions of influence and getting out some of the older people that just don't get it. So mm-hmm. this train of thought is not going to change until we get more people 40 and under in positions of power in education. That's when this changes because the people in education now a lot of the the heads of education are older, and they don't get it. Literacy, I can't read a hieroglyphic. I have no clue what it is. But at one point in this world's history, that would have meant that I'm illiterate. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that these young people are illiterate. They just choose not to read words. They can read words. Um, But now you have to remember, a lot of these people, people are doing the books where you where the books are read to them they're still getting the knowledge i don't care about how they get it they're getting it um but to a lot of the older mindset and it's not just older it's the mindset they Mm -hmm. don't care that they're getting the knowledge they care how they're getting the knowledge i don't care how you're getting the knowledge get the knowledge if you can't write in cursive i mean it's a dying thing so Mm -hmm. I, i it's irrelevant I mean, I can't use a floppy disk. I shouldn't have to. The first job I had, there was a typewriter there. Um, and I, I told my boss at the time, I said, the only time I've seen one of these is at the end of Murder, She Wrote. I don't know <laughs> what this is. Mm-hmm. And everyone looked at me, but it's not because I'm not intelligent. I am mm-hmm. just, it's just a different thing. So we have to get out of the mindset of this has worked forever it should still work into the mindset of what's working now. You know, and I think too, and, to, and like you said, it doesn't mean that they're not learning. And literacy, and I often believe if you've got to look at history, that, that literacy test 
You know, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. as black people, like I, um, cause you remember I did that poem. We, we were able to tell what was the road to freedom through, you know, quilts and things. You know, we were able to, we've been able to do things. So that test of literacy has been why they said maybe you can't get a job, you can't vote, you can't, you can't be free. Correct. So we have to break that. We yeah, really absolutely. have to break that and, and understand, like you said, maybe they're not reading a book, but it doesn't mean that they're not learning. It doesn't mean that they're they're people aren't intelligent and they're not bringing something to the table from mm-hmm. the youngest to the oldest, you know. They absolutely are, yes. Mm-hmm. So in these coming days between now and November, what are you up to? I'm just going to tell you, I am throwing myself behind some really important people. Um, you know, this is on the heels of, of what's being called the worst weekend in Chicago's history with a lot of mm. gun violence. So mm-hmm. I am throwing myself into um, campaigns. Um, if I'm just going to list a few, uh, Andre Vazquez, uh, Maria Hayden, Patrick mm-hmm. Shine, Miguel Batista, um, Erica, whose last name I cannot pronounce right now, who's great and being endorsed by the teachers' union, um, Lori Lightfoot, who's running for mayor, I'm meeting with some of her people at the end of the month. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going back home to Chicago, and I'm taking my city back. That's what I'm mm-hmm. doing, and I'm mm-hmm. helping people take it back. Um, I am in the midst of collecting names. I forgot um, Aaron Goldstein. Can't forget Aaron Goldstein in the 33rd. Um, but I'm taking, I'm, I'm getting my collection of good people that are running for alderman positions. And I'm meeting with them. I'm also mm-hmm. going to be getting with, you know, um, <clears throat> oh, my goodness, um, Anthony Clark, Kena Collins, uh, good influential people that inspire the youth. I want to get with them. I want to hear what they're doing. I want to do what they're doing. I want to go to Chicago and take it back. I want to take it back from the lazy Democrats that are just collecting a paycheck, that are not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. take it back from the drug dealers. I want to take it and give it to the people and give them hope and give them education. That is what I want to do. And at the end of this, and I was just talking to Lamont Robinson, who is the first openly gay person of color to serve in the state of Illinois. He's uh-huh. a mentor of mine and a hero. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. One day I'm going to run for office. It's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. And I, wanted to do, I want to do it in my backyard where I grew up where I learned how to be a man and how to be responsible. And I want to give the city of Chicago something that was taken from it a long time ago, which is dignity and hope. Well, I hear you. I mean, and you've named several people who I know and support. I mean, and it's funny how you, you meet one and you meet another person. And yes. there's some really incredible people across this country, people of color, people who are queer, who are standing up and doing that. And, you know, uh, and I want you to keep writing now because, I, I mean, you've got me hooked now. I need, I need more stuff to well, read. Well, <laughs> Chronicle, Chronicles of an Outsider is officially a six-series deal. So I have, yes. I, I've done two, so you've got a few more series. I am doing a Tea Time with Sean Caston, who's running for Congress in District 6, uh, who I'm a huge supporter of, huge, huge, huge. That's going to be the next Tea Time for Patriot Not Partisan. So uh-huh. you're going to you're going to be seeing a lot of me everywhere. Um, right now, I'm with Sean and, and JB Pritzker. I have a weekend plan with Kwame Raoul coming up, who's running for Attorney General. Um, but 2019, going to Chicago, 
helping all those people that I listed. And I sent out a few messages to a few more um, that I just want to jump in and, and get them where they need to be, and then hopefully I'll be running for office after that. <laughs> I want to thank you for being my guest today. You know I'm, I'm going to be calling you back because, you know, like I said, you're one of those people that that's what this is about, being able to have those deep conversations with people that hopefully as people listen that they will start and think and have deep conversations with their friends. I want to thank you for being with me. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank today's guest, political strategist and organizer, Ken Mahia Beal. His Chronicles of an Outsider series, exploring his journey as an outspoken, everyday American who's African-American and a member of the LGBT community, can be found on dimrightpress.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show by following the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.